Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. It's great to be here at Horizon West Church today, and thank you for joining us. If you're here live or if you're watching us uh, by way of video today, wherever you're enjoying the service and the comfort of your own environment, uh, thank you for being here today. So I don't know if I've met uh, some of you. I have. Some of you I haven't. It's great to be here with you, and thank you for joining us this Thanksgiving week, and I hope you've had a great Thanksgiving uh, celebrating together. Betsy and I have three sons. They're all married. One of them lives in Georgia. So the two that live here and their wives and kids, we all ended up in Georgia for Thanksgiving. We had a great time up there. We have seven grandkids, Betsy and I do, 10-year-old, four-year-old, three-year-old, two two-year-olds, two one-year-olds. We spent two days. We were ready to come home uh, after that few days. It was great but we were ready to come home. It's been awesome uh, enjoying Thanksgiving together with our extended family, and I hope and pray that you've had some good time as well. So today I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to examine a, a probably a scripture passage that you've not uh, studied in church before because it's unusual to study a passage that's this much of a genealogy. We're going to study uh, the genealogy of Jesus, and this is a season where we can really use some good news, right? All of us can use good news. And even those who are outside the church, who are not part of the body of Christ, man, it is a season when good news would be really welcome. And so we want to leverage that uh, for the next three or four weekends and talk about the good news and why is it that we should share Christmas and talk to other people about what Christmas means to us. So uh, today we're going to look at this, the, this narrative that Matthew gives us. Um, of the genealogy of Jesus, going all the way from Jesus' birth all the way back to Abraham. And he lists the genealogy. There are over 40 names, and we're going to memorize them together. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. Um, but we are going to look at a few key points. And what, what was the point that Matthew was trying to make? And I think the point he is trying to make is that there's some good news to share And he reveals four facts about the good news and the genealogy that I think are evidence of God's grace towards us. And so I want us to look at this. I want to read first uh, just the first couple verses, and then I'm going to read uh, verse 17. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Matthew says this, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Jacob was the one whose name was changed to Israel. Judah and his brothers are the 12 tribes of Israel. And then look all the way down to verse 17. Matthew ends this narrative. It says this, So all of the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation of Babylon to the Christ, 14 more generations. So it's broken up into three um, groups of 14 is the way Matthew talks about it. So the first evidence that Matthew gives, I think it's the big point that he's trying to make when he reveals this genealogy, as that Jesus is the good news. Jesus is the Messiah. He's connecting in that verse, 
uh, Jesus to the uh, David, to King David, and he's connecting him to Abraham. You see, Matthew is making sure we know. Matthew is a Jew. He's one of the apostles. He's making sure the readers know that Jesus is fulfilling or has fulfilled all the requirements to be the Messiah. He had to be of the house and lineage of David, and he had to be from Abraham. And that makes him qualified to be the Messiah. It was important to Matthew to make the point that Jesus is the good news. There is no better news than Jesus is the good news. Jesus didn't only tell good news. Jesus is good news. The Messiah coming is the good news. And it's what we should be sharing. And his coming was the fulfillment of a promise that God made to Abraham. Jesus' birth was promised to Abraham. He actually promised it to Abraham on two different occasions. God promised that he was going to do this on two different occasions. One, on his first call to to Abraham when he said, hey, I want you to leave where you are and go somewhere. And then second, when he asked him to offer up Isaac as a sacrifice. After both of those occasions, God Um, speaks to Abraham, and I want us to read those. I'm going to put them on the screen here. First one is in Genesis 12, verse 3. It says this, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, read this, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is a promise that God made to Abraham thousands of years before Jesus was born. He was saying to Abraham, through you, All the families of the earth will be blessed. And then again in chapter 22 of Genesis, it says this. God speaking to Abraham, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. Next verse. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Do you see what God is saying? Abraham, because of your faithfulness, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. And the answer to that is Jesus. And that is really good news. Jesus is the complete fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham. Sometimes I encounter people who are new to the faith and and they struggle a little bit reading the Old Testament or what some call the Hebrew Scriptures. They're like, man, it's a lot of war and anger and division and I don't understand how that... It sounds so different than the New Testament, than the Christian Scripture. That sounds so... um, It's just so different. And it is. But the best way to understand that Old Testament narrative is to understand the purpose of it. If you understand the purpose and the context, here's what it is. God is preserving a people. He's fulfilling a promise that he made to Abraham that he said, Hey, it may be 2,000 or 2,500 years, but I'm going to preserve your people. And from you, the hope of the world is going to be born. And he fulfilled it. What does it take to preserve a people? I mean, think about our country. What would it take to preserve our country for 2,500 years or for 2,000 years? I mean, kind of feels like it may take something to preserve us for another 10 years sometimes, right? But God preserved these people for thousands of years so that out of there would come Jesus, the Messiah. And in the context of history and purpose, the narrative can make a lot more sense. God's big story 
is to provide a people out of which the Messiah would come. And he is good news. Jesus is good news. He gives, he gives voice to the voiceless, a face to the faceless, and hope to the oppressed and marginalized of the world. Jesus loves us, and he accepts us, and he gives us purpose and meaning. He offers us joy and hope and future. Jesus is the good news for us. That's the first and most important fact that, that Matthew wants us to know. The whole reason for all of the genealogy is to say, hey, this is the answer that God gave in his promise to Abraham. The second uh, fact that, that Matthew reveals in this, this narrative here of the genealogy is that the good news is for outsiders. When Jesus came, he included everyone. He changed it from a Jewish-only faith to a Jewish-Gentile faith. Everybody is included. He opened it up. He opened the doors for everybody. Jesus did. Now, I want to point your attention to something fascinating that Matthew did here. It wasn't only fascinating. It's bold and fascinating. It took bravery on Matthew's part to do it in a way that we can't fully understand, but I'm going to, I'm going to hopefully I wrap it in a way that, that makes it make sense to you. Four times in this passage, Matthew names a woman. You wouldn't name normally in a Hebrew genealogy, you wouldn't name a woman. Why was he do that? I think because he wants to say that the gospel, the good news of Jesus is for everyone. And, and the best way for him to do it was to identify women that are in the genealogy. He lists Tamar he, in, in verse 3. He, in verse 5, he lists Rahab. And also in verse 5, he lists Ruth. And then in verse 6, he doesn't say her name, but he says, um, David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. The wife of Uriah, we know, is Bathsheba. So he doesn't write her name out, but he refers to her. Why would he list four women, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba? The reason is because it's his way to say the gospel is for everybody. Good news is for everybody. And for him as a man and a Jew, as someone who would in that day, you would never include women. Women were not permitted to go to the holiest places to worship. They were not included when they were reading scriptures and doing that. They, they were not considered to be full citizens as men were considered, believe it or not. How horrible that was, but that was the reality of that day. And in that context, Matthew writing to a Jewish audience, he says, the names of women in Jesus' genealogy, so as to say the gospel is for outsiders, not just us insiders. It's not just for the Jews, it's for everybody. Somehow, the Jews missed this whole idea when God said, through Abraham, we're going to bless all the peoples of the world, somehow they still thought it was blessing themselves, it was blessing the Jews, that they were going to be the ones who's, who's blessed. But Jesus came not to just be a blessing to the Jews, but to be a blessing for everybody. And you know, we have to be careful in our own context not to so westernize the gospel or so Americanize the gospel that it's just working for us, even in language and culture and the systems that we put in place for people to access the gospel. We need to make sure that it's always for all people. I'm, I'm amazed at Matthew's boldness. He was an apostle. He was a Jew. He was obviously a, a male. 
a man, and he was taking a stand and speaking up for the outsider, for women. He was the ultimate insider taking a stand for somebody who was still on the outside and saying, the gospel is for you. You know, that's the kind of people we should be. Wonder who are the marginalized in our society today or in our world today that we could say, hey, we're on the inside and we're going to make sure that the gospel gets to you. As a church, you know, that's one of the things we're doing when we send missionaries halfway around the world to places like Madagascar and, and we send there saying the gospel is for everyone, not just for Americans, not just for English speakers, not just for people in Horizon West. The gospel is for everybody. And I'm so proud that we're a church like that. We're, we're a church that has services not only on multiple campuses in English, but we have campus in Spanish and we have a campus in Portuguese because we know that the gospel translates better in a heart language that people can hear. And it all stems from this idea that Matthew wrote that he listed women saying the gospel is for them too. And we need to be that kind of church. Insiders speaking up for everyone especially those who still find themselves outside of the gospel. So the first idea is that Jesus is the good news. The second is that the, the good news uh, isn't just for insiders, it's for outsiders. The third idea is that the good news is for imperfect people. Thankfully, the, the good news is for people like you and me, imperfect people. And, and Matthew is so good to point it out. It's not, some, some have pointed out that, that the the four women, three of the four women have dubious uh, backgrounds, a history. They're, they're not all pure. But I think that that's foolish. It's not just the women who have a bad history. All the men in the, in the list have a bad history too. Everybody on the list is imperfect. It's silly to say it's just the women. He just picked four women that are prominent. It's not the heroes of the faith, but very important that he listed them. But he didn't list them because they're imperfect because... He listed them because they were women, but then he lists these men and he actually doesn't go through the easiest genealogy. The way they do genealogy is it's, it's not exact and there are several times that he's skipping generations and the, the way they did genealogy could do that. Like I begat my grandchildren and leave out the names of my sons. You could do that. And that's why the numbers are a little different. The, the years don't all match up. That's also why the genealogy in Luke that he provides does not match the genealogy of Matthew. And Luke is providing Mary's genealogy, uh, uh, most scholars believe, and Matthew is providing Joseph's genealogy. And although Joseph was the adopted father of Jesus, not the biological father of Jesus, but that's still the genealogy that, that Matthew is providing. But it's imperfect people. And all of them were imperfect. I'm not going to go through the stories, but it wouldn't take long for, to, for me to fill our time with scandalous stories of people that are in the lineage of Jesus who did terrible things, immoral things, that we would say, what were you thinking? Why would you do this? Don't you know what's coming from you? Don't you know Jesus is going to come out of this? You don't want that reputation in his history, but that's the reputation in his history. But here's what I want you to notice. They're listed because of their contribution, not because of their imperfection. And you know, that's the way God looks at us. He sees us for our contribution, not our imperfection. He celebrates our contributions rather than only point out our imperfections. Today, I'm, I'm not on social media. I 
I pay attention enough to keep up with my grandkids. That's about the extent of it. But, but there's this thing going on right now called cancel culture that you don't like something somebody says or they do something that kind of hits you wrong and you just cancel them. And, and I don't know if that's supposed to happen or not supposed to happen on social media, but in real life, that is not the way we should interact with people. We should view people and accept them for their contributions in spite of their imperfections. If all we're going to do is note people's imperfections, we have to cancel everybody because we all have imperfections. All of us are broken. And that, that's what makes the gospel such great news is that it's for broken people, imperfect people. And Paul said, now, don't think just because grace abounds and you have grace for sin and you, you get to be imperfect that we should just move towards imperfection and let's just try to be as imperfect as we can so that grace will abound. Paul says, that's ridiculous. That's not what it means. But in, in reality, our lives are not living in a cancer culture world. Jesus accepts us because of our contributions in spite of our imperfections and he does not cancel us. He does cancel our imperfection but he doesn't cancel us. You see, because Jesus sees what we can be, what we can do, what we can offer, not just what we lack, what we fail or need. And let's be that kind of people. Let's be that kind of church. It's a, a church for imperfect people and seeing what people can be and can do and can offer. Jesus sees hope and promise in all of us. And that is really good news that he sees that in all of us. And the last idea here is that the good news is for the unknown. The good news is for the unknown. It's, it's for the imperfect. It's for the outsider. But it's also for the unknown. You don't have to be famous. You don't have to be powerful. You don't have to be known to be used by God. Do you know that there are over 40 names in the list of genealogy? It's actually 13, 14, and 13 is the way the count goes. Even though Matthew says 14, there were 14. He just didn't list them all. And, and uh, that was actually probably a, a way for him to memorize the list. They, they remember this was all oral tradition uh, early on. And so the way they would pass down the generations is they would memorize them. And so they would put them in groups um, to be able to memorize the names. So over 40 names are in the list. About a third of them um, have significant contribution that we're aware of. Uh, they're historically, uh, there are historical contributions that we get from Scripture and from other documents of their lives and the, the differences in the impact that they had. About a third of them are that way. About a third, all we know is a mention or two and maybe somebody that they married or something that they did. Sometimes it says they were a good king or a bad king or something uh, very obscure and just a little mention. But about another third of them, so somewhere around 12 to 14 other ones, we know nothing except this about them. They're obscure and insignificant in the bigger scheme of things. And yet, Matthew lists them, saying every one of them played a part in delivering the promise from God to Abraham that said the Messiah is coming from you. And he delivered it through people who were rather obscure and insignificant. You ever feel like you're obscure and insignificant? Like the contribution you make is not going to be worth very much. 
sitting around this weekend with those grandkids, two two-year-olds, two one-year-olds, looking at them, thinking, I wonder what kind of influence I'm going to have on those kids at their age. And by the time they're 20 or 30 and marrying somebody, what are they going to think of me? And, and what are they going to know about Jesus? And what kind of impact am I going to have on them? And some of you are young in the room, probably watching too. The older you get, the more you think about things like that, right? You kind of go, I wonder if my contribution is going to matter. And can I tell you, the good news is everything we do matters. Our contribution, even though it may seem like nothing at the time, the grace of God and the good news is that the simplest things that we do can have enormous impact in the days to come. Who would have thought some of these people, they're listed in the genealogy of Jesus. What greater honor could there be? And yet probably in the time of their life as they were living it, they probably felt like I'm not doing anything significant. And yet their role mattered. And somehow, some way, in ways that we can't fully understand, what we got to do is be faithful and do what God tells us to do and trust the results with him and, and let him with his grace, affect the change that needs to happen and know that that is really good news, that even if I feel like I'm not making the contribution that is going to matter in generations to come, that Jesus can make the impact. And I've also found that if we don't care who gets the credit, he can use us in even more. And sometimes it's saying, you know what, I'm not going to get the credit for this, but I'm going to do it anyway. And that's what these names, as I read them, I just think, I wonder about their lives. I wonder about the kind of people that they were. And somehow God used them to fulfill his promise to us, which means he can use us to fulfill his promises to others. And that is really, really good news. A couple weeks ago, my family and I, after church, we were at the John Young campus, and after church, we went to eat with my youngest son and his family. They have two kids. And so we were at a restaurant. And while we were um, eating lunch, a couple from our church came in uh, with their family, four or five children. And they walked in and got a seat and everything. And I could tell they were from our church because like you guys, they had kids shirts on. They had served in kids ministry that day. And so I recognized the shirts and, and kind of made eye contact with them. And they went and sat down and started their meal. And and um, so after I finished eating, I walked with my family back out to the car and I was in a different car. So when I, I dropped them off at the car, I said, you know what? I don't know that couple that was in there and I feel badly I didn't speak to them. So I'm going to go say hello to them. So I walked back in the restaurant. It's just one of these fast casual places. You know, you order at the counter and then you go sit down and they bring you your food. And so their table was right there uh, closest to the counter. So I walked up and I introduced myself. It's Mike and Amanda Tucker is their name. I think they have five kids, four kids, something like that. It was a lot, a lot of kids around. And uh, that's the theme tonight somehow. But anyway, um, so I, I'm asking them about church and about the time that I had walked up to them simultaneously to that, randomly, four police officers walked into the restaurant to get lunch. And they were walking, you know, you don't miss that, four guys walking in and they're walking up to the counter. And so I just started the conversation. Well, uh, about a minute into the conversation with Mike, um, the first police officer comes by 
And he stops right at me. He's got his drink in his hand and he sticks out his hand like this. And, and I'm talking and, he, I, I, and so I shake his hand and he says, thank you very much. I said, well, you're welcome. And, and then he walks away. And I don't think anything, that's weird. And so I went um, about my business talking to them again. And a second later, this, a second police officer comes up and he sticks out his hand. And I, I, I shake his hand and thank you very much. I said, you're welcome. And he walks away. And then the thought occurs to me, you know, at First Baptist, uh, about five or six times a year, we go to the Orlando Police Department and we hand a, a coin that's a prayer reminder that we're praying for them and give Bibles to all the new recruits as they graduate um, from the training to become police officers. And I'm thinking, oh, that's what it is. They recognize me from that little ceremony and they're thanking me for it. And so I continue the conversation trying to pay attention to Mike and Amanda and learn about them. And no kidding, here comes the third officer. Same deal. He puts his hand out. I shake his hand. Thank you very much. And he goes and sits down. And so it was awkward or whatever, but I finished the conversation with Mike and Amanda and said my goodbyes. And I walked to the car and I started the car. And I was a mile down the road when it hit me. Mike paid for their meal. And that clerk pointed at the table and said, he paid for your meal. And they just assumed it was the old guy at the table, not the young guy at the table that had paid for the meal. And I'd said, thank you very much to all of them, except the fourth one. I'd gone by the time the fourth one got there. So a day later, actually a week later, I called, found their number. I called, said, hey, Mike, this is Danny DeArmas. I met you at the restaurant. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to ask you something. And before I could get it out, he said, yes, I paid for their meals. I had told the clerk that I was going to pay. When they finished, I would come up and pay for it just to let them do it. I said, why didn't you stop me? He said, actually, Amanda and I got a big kick out of watching you not understand what was going on. We thought it was pretty funny uh, for you not to know and understand what was going on. I thought, man, I got to tell you, I just thank you for living that way. You didn't care who got the credit, and you watched me take the credit from you, even though I didn't realize what it was that I was doing. And you represented what it's like to have really good news in your life that you love Jesus and you want to be generous to people. And I just really appreciate you being that kind of guy and being gracious enough that you didn't need to correct me or make a big scene or say anything except just get a grin out of it um, at my foolishness in the, in the midst of it all. Let's be that kind of people, can we? Can we be the kind of people who say, hey, I don't care who gets the credit. I'm here for the outsider. I'm here for the imperfect. And I'm here no matter who gets the credit to say, I'm going to tell you about the good news. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.